You're listening to Angus Underground, featuring insight, opinion, and answers to the questions on everyone's mind. Prepare to be educated, entertained, and empowered with insight, news, and conversation with today's newsmakers. From the well-known to the not-so-well-known, raise your flag and join the revolution as your hosts, David, Joe, and Corbin, take you underground. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Angus Underground. I hope you've all been out there keeping it underground. Because I know we all have. How's it going today, guys? We have been. Thanks for the great intro, Vince. Yeah. So, real quick, before we get into the meat of uh, our discussion today, and we, by the way, we've got a great episode today. Uh, There's going to be some useful information up front. Then we've got a a wonderful interview with a family from Virginia that is, when you look up diversified operation in the dictionary, yeah, you're going to see their name listed there. But, uh, hey, we're coming off a couple of great episodes that we uh, taped in Denver at the National Western Stock Show. Thanks to everyone for all the good uh, comments that we've received since. Uh, that was a lot of fun. They were good. I've been li- I'm still listening through them. But- the interviews were fantastic, especially like the the second episode where we had, you know, real cattle in there, man. I, I was like kicking myself because I didn't get to do a lot of that, but it was awesome. It was good to hear from those people. Yeah, I thought there were some good stories, some good people. I mean, and then you apply the context of it, it was 10 degrees in the wind blowing and folks chose to sit in there with <laughs> yeah. us. I'm just so yeah. thankful. I mean, to Ritalik and McCauley too for sitting there for, they were, they were supposed to be on there. We told them eight to 15 minutes and they gave us an hour of their time. Um Thank you, guys. It was good. Fantastic. It was good. It answered a lot of questions. I think it provokes a lot more questions. I think we can get there in subsequent episodes as some of this more data more data comes out. I know I have more questions, um, but lots of positive feedback with that. I'll tell you another positive feedback, guys. I've been putting this one off, and I apologize. One of our biggest, biggest fans, my friend Cade Goodell, got a new MP3 or MP4 player. He's got every episode of the AU. I mean – I can't remember how old he is, but I remember when he was born because his parents, Chris and Casey, are dear friends of mine. Uh, I, I think he's still in grammar school. Cade, reach out to me and uh, heard from his dad at Red Bluff. He, he came to his dad when they were driving up there and he said, Dad, have you listened to All Things Repro yet? And uh, Chris goes, <laughs> I, I listened to a couple of them. They're pretty good. But I guess we just don't realize, guys, sometimes how loyal this listenership is. And how wide and diverse of a demographic we hit. If we have young people listening to us, um, that's that's kind of cool. It's kind of exciting for me. And then young-minded people, I would say. There's there's older people listening to us, all age groups. And maybe the Angus Underground means a little bit something different to everyone. And uh, I just hope that we always bring content that maybe you don't always get everywhere else. Something unique, some unique programs, some unique uh, ways of thinking about running an Angus operation unique ways to think about raising your family in this great business. So thanks, yeah. Cade. Thanks for listening, bud. And next time I see you, which will probably be when your guys' family are selling some bulls in Winnemucca, I'll take a picture with you and we're going to put it on the Facebook page. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, Cade. You, you know, Joe, you brought up something here. Um, when, when we were at the National Western Stock Show, this is what drove it home to me because our message is it, it uh, transcends Angus. Okay, because I I had shorthorn breeders coming up to me 
uh, Hereford breeders, club calf guys coming up to me and saying, hey, we, we really enjoy the Angus Underground. So uh, I guess we're, we're Angus in name, Angus in spirit, but uh, I like to think that a lot of the topics that we discuss apply to those in all walks of life, uh, at least the seed stock life. We're just happy to uh, be there for you. Corbin, what have you been up to lately? Well, I've been a little bit busy. Not too bad, though, you know. Um, the countdown is on, huh? Countdown is on. We're 22, to, 22 <laughs> days out as we sit here from, from the inaugural Raptor 5M production sale, which is, it's actually crazy to think about. It's actually crazy. I was thinking about this yesterday, Corbin. I'm sorry to interrupt, but, you know, for, for the other three of us, I mean, this is old hat, but we've had over the last three years, we've been talking about a, a lot of things related to marketing and, and getting ready for sales. You're living it for the first time. I mean, are, are you shocked or surprised by some things? Maybe we uh, understated something or overstated something in that preparation process. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, everything is understated because you don't realize you don't realize how much goes into it whenever you're doing it. And one of the things that I did not anticipate was the emotions that are going into it for me. Uh, boy, I'm frazzled and, you know, just getting the sale book and having it in my hands. And I, you know, I know how much has gone into that. And it's just, it's crazy how I'm almost brought to tears because it's like, man, I've worked my, this is something I've dreamt about for a long, long, long time. And it's getting so real and it's absolutely insane. And so, on the same token, you know, if somebody comes at me and says, oh, yeah, um, that's not that great or, or, you know, this bull's not very good or, or whatever, I'm, I'm soup. Like, I will fight you right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't fight. It's your interesting, customers. though. Yeah. I was thinking about this because we, we always want to we want to talk about we want to share information with people because I think people are interested. And I think you have an interesting program. But just talking about that thought process. I wonder if we've shifted people's minds. I wonder if the Angus Underground has played a role in making people think about preparing for their first sale differently because for me, it wasn't that deep. Now, when I think about my first sale, I remember that pride of getting our first sale book and you're like, yeah, this is really, really cool. But I was 22 years old. I mean, I, I hadn't been here long. It was the next logical step. It solved a lot of problems. We weren't towing bulls around to consignment sales everywhere. But for you, Corbin, you're a lot more well-formed in this business. You took a commercial hiatus for a while, and then you come back and you wanted to build a cow herd a certain way, the way you wanted, the kind of cattle you wanted to use in a commercial place. And so there was so much intentionality. I know because I talk to you every day, so much intentionality. I mean, maybe just speak to the offering a little bit. Speak to how you source genetics. Speak to just... Rafter 5M, you've been really humble on this podcast and not beating your drum and trying not to be commercialized, but it's important. Share with some people about your program real quick. Well, I think I think one of the things when you go through the sale book, you'll notice that that the bottom side of the pedigrees, the main focus has always been production. And so one of the things I've been able to do is is, you know, if I if I have a cow that I think needs a little bit of something else. I'm not scared to go that route, you know. So you look at our route, our our lot one bull, Raven. You know, I've got a cow that's that's absolutely one of the most productive cows in the country that 
that any single person that ever saw her would say, man, that cow has done her job over, she's 10, she's done her job over a number of years. And so what do I do? I bring renown on top of that. We got pretty and we got production in 4136. And it's just like, you know, anyone in the world could have made that mating, but it's like, it just took like, oh my gosh, this is going to work perfect. And um, it's, it just, it's transcended, transcended itself. And and I try to use cows that work on top of cows that work on top of cows that work. And if you look through the, the sale book, there's not a cow in that, in the, there's not a lot in the sale where the cow did not breed back last year, where she doesn't have good enough feet. All those are gone. They've been cold through. Like you, you, what you're getting is what you get. And I think you're going to come at it with a piece of humility because I know you so well, but 37 lots, you don't have, you don't have 74 cows. If I did my math right. I mean, this no, is, no, this is representative of a two and a half year culling process through the production cycle of culling it, weaning, culling it yearling, culling it a year and a little bit. You've been just combing through these cattle. You mentioned lot one. I didn't even, you didn't even know how to do this. I was messing around on the internet the other night and I did a sire search. So You've stacked proven on unproven, and some people could you could say proven and unproven, or you could say, um, I don't know, they they aren't the cutting edge, most exciting unproven bull. But then you do a search and find out that this lot two bull is the highest dollar maternal renowned son in the world, proven and unproven. So when you go back and talk to like McCully and Retallic or look at that episode where they said if you're using stacking proven and you're stacking accuracy within a pedigree. Those EPDs might not be outer stratosphere, although I will say, go ahead and look at them. They're sure balanced. They're sure good. They aren't going to move a lot. They aren't going to fall out of bed. It's proven and you know what it is. And so I that's what I like when I looked through your book as I was like, that flush, that cow did a really, really nice job. She's done a nice job for a long time. And then you do a sort and it's like, those cattle are as relevant proven as they were when they were unproven. They're super cool and super exciting. Well, I think that's that's the goal too whenever whenever... I make these matings. It's like, I want to make something that's predictable. I want to make something that in 15 years we're talking about, yeah, I'm still using this bull. I, I like this bull still has a place in my program. I I'm not trying to make something that's, that's going to sell for 275,000. I mean, that's, that's not the goal. The goal is to make cows that are going to work and the goal is to make bulls that are going to work. And they're going to go work for people that live right here. But, you know, I want my neighbor to come buy this bull, turn him out. And then in a year, he's like, man, that bull's still awesome. That bull, held his flesh he didn't fall apart um he's got great feet he's got a good disposition everything about that bulls everything i ever wanted and then they start getting these wet daughters and they're like holy cow this this three-year-old cow is is raising the heck out of this calf she might she may or may not look great but she bred back on time she's having a calf every year that's the goal within our program is to do something that i feel like is so simple it's so simple to raise cattle that'll work but it's something that gets lost because, you know, it's not sexy. You lose some of it in marketing. There's marketing appeal. What David said in one of our podcasts, talking about churn, talking about churn and excitement. And But talk about Lot 20. I know you're going to be humble. We need to move along here. But you use the bull yourself, one that you've believed in. And, and we touched on the piece a little bit about you developing these things slowly with the commercial cattlemen in mind. Listen, guys. We all know how to get high, high yearling weights. We know how to make them fat. We know how to, quote, get them ready. You've developed these things with a commercial cattleman in mind, and yet Lot 20 still stands out like a sore thumb. Talk to us about Roadblock. Yeah, all these uh, all these older bulls, uh, they get turned out for 90 to 120 days, but Roadblock himself is out of this 0231 cow. That I, some of you have heard me talk about this cow on the podcast. Um, 
as a cow that I would not trade for anything in the world. And this is a bull that, uh, you know, I used him back and then we're going to collect him and use him within our own herd too. Um, this bull, I, I really do think this bull has a potential to really help transform some people's programs. Maybe, maybe he goes to a commercial guy and that guy makes some females that are to die for. That'd be great for me too. Um, but roadblock, man, the cow, she's, uh, she lived to be 14. She's got so many daughters within our herd. We're calving those daughters out right now. And, and the udders are fantastic. They're good footed. They're so fertile. Like I, I made it that cow the complete wrong way. And yet those daughters are still breeding up on time. They're still raising heck of a calves. And it's just, it's, it's fantastic to see a cow be so prolific. And so, yeah, I, I just, I can't say enough about that bull. He's just really cool. He's, he's got a lot of dimension. He's super long. He's pretty, he's pretty moderate. He's stout, really good feet. That's one thing about uh, most of this offering that if, if you come appraise the bulls, nothing's been touched. Everything is authentic. What you're seeing is what you're getting. And you're going to love the foot quality in this offering for sure. And I hate to toot my own horn like that, but you know. One, one that jumped out to me, Corbin, um, as we looked through the videos, uh, is the Lot 22, the Perception Bull. Tell me a little bit about that bull. That bull's he's pretty cool. It, it's So Joe actually called him uh, Rafter 5 and Broomtail. Because, you know, Joe, <laughs> Joe loves those. You know, he's kind of liking himself to those long Well, tail. he's the one Wyatt called me. Wyatt's like, hey, I saw Corbin's videos. What do you know about Natty Law or whatever? Corbin saw, I was like, I know that 22 is a good bull. That's what I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's really cool about that is, is I've just two days ago calved out a daughter or a full sister. That cow's udder is fantastic. She's got loads of milk. It, it's really cool. We calved out a holy water out of her. And um, man, I just think that that bull's going to make females that people are going to just lose their minds over. And guess what? They're going to weigh something at weaning too. There's a lot to that bull. That bull is stout. That bull is all there. Um, perception. And and I, I named him Perception because, you know, it's a, it's a really, you know, we all have this idea of, of what a, an Angus bull should be. But whenever you're, you're perceptive and you really set back and look at him like that bull's, he's pretty tough to beat. He, he's going to be hard for, he's going to be hard for me to, it's going to be hard for me to do better than that. Yeah. That's a backhanded compliment to me because I perceived he was good. <laughs> well, Corbin, you so you've got 37 bulls. Uh you've 36 got, uh, bulls. 36 bulls. What about this heifer? Yes. What about this heifer, Corbin? So we sold those uh so that you know, I think a lot of you guys know that I love 4147 at date like David's the progeny out of her. You do? And so uh, yeah, I, I, have kind of taken a liking to him. And so, he, he's going to eventually own more of those than I have. Yeah. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But this, this heifer, it's just, you know, I wanted to have something a little spicy in there, something that might kind of get people going, uh, to get, to get excited about spicy. Um, and what's hotter right now than iconic in this, in this industry and, and out of a, out of a donor that man, I've got holy waters coming. I've got barricades coming. I've got renowns coming out of this cow. Um, I believe in this, this, this young donor and she took a killer picture. I just think that the opportunities are endless for this cow before it's all said and done. And that heifer is, uh, I don't know. She's pretty neat. Um, and I think once you guys see the video on her, you'll like her even better. I haven't shared that yet, but, uh, she's just been pretty cool. That's what's interesting. I mean, you, 
you know, you're coming out of the gate, your first production sale. It'd be easy for you to sort off 10 heifers that are, you know, may not meet your qualifications. Right. No, no. You go out, you pick the best one out in the lot. Yeah. I mean, who does that? And I called you and I said, <laughs> I said, only one. And he said, that's all it's going to take. She's the best one. After one. <laughs> and part of the reason, too, that's is her. That with the with the drought of the last, she's her. last couple years, <laughs> she's her. <laughs> with the drought of the last couple years, I've just been super hard culling. So if something doesn't breed up on time, they don't get to stay here. I mean, they might get to stay, but they're getting an embryo or they're going to right. They're going to be a commercial cow, right? So I was really hesitant to sell a lot of heifers because I don't, I don't know what to anticipate with the with the drought and everything. So yeah, as hard as I cull and as hard as I am on these cows. I figured I better just sell one really good one and just hope that just hope that that piques some people interest. I have had so many people tell me like, golly, I can't believe you're only selling one heifer. And it's like, well, I might as well sell a good one. Yeah. Well, you're, you're doing that. So again, we've got the Rafter 5M landing cattle sale, production sale, inaugural production sale. And folks, that's coming up on February 24th at 1 oh, p.m. I wanted to, uh, oh. I wanted to, I wanted to tell you guys this story. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm taking it. I'm hey, I'm just trying to give you some advertising here. No, I know. So I went I went back and forth as to whether or not I was going to have the sale online. And I really was thinking like, ah, I'm just not going to. We'll have enough, you know, we'll sell them to the commercial cow guys in the seats and and you know, people will know where to find me. They'll call me and if they want me to tell them something about a bull, they'll they'll be I'll have videos. So Wyatt Durst sends me uh um uh, a Facebook message and he's like, Hey, I'm with CCI Live. I, I don't know if you were thinking about having your sale online, but I'd sure, I'd sure love to help you out if, if you, you know, if, if that, and this was one day before the catalog goes to print. And I was just, I kind of took it as a God thing. And I was like, you know what? The timing of it was just too perfect because I had reached out to DV and didn't hear anything back from him. And I was like, yeah, whatever. If it was meant to be, it, it was meant to be. And then, you know, he sends me a message the day before. And so I just kind of use it as a God thing. I was like, you know what? It's just meant to be for, for people to see these cattle and to see what they can do. And, I'm really excited for you guys to see the videos. Um, I got most of them uploaded. They're waiting on me to send them a spreadsheet of what to put on the video or whatever. So yeah, but yeah. I'm excited for everyone to see them. Well, good awesome. stuff, Corbin. And and we wish you all the success in the world. Again, that's the Rafter 5M landing cattle sale, inaugural production sale. Uh, it's being held on February 24th at 1 PM central. And uh, you can bid and view and, uh, all that fun stuff online at cci.live. So, folks, we, we've uh, none of the country has been immune from uh, kind of a historic cold period, polar vortex, I guess is what they call it, right, Joe? I have, a, I have an atmospheric <laughs> river, but yeah. Joe's got the atmospheric river going. Uh, we're coming out of a, a polar vortex. It's, it's warm now in Montana. It is in Tennessee as well. This this winter has been one for the ages. Uh, but I'm constantly reminded, uh, whether we talk to, to folks on the phone, see them in person, or uh, tune into social media, uh, those in this industry, there's a certain segment that, that really lacks what I call preparation. And I go, what in the world? It's wintertime. You know it's going to get cold. Well, no, not this far south. It never gets this cold. Well, except for last year and except for the year before, 
and all my water lines are froze and busted. <laughs> so I thought it'd be a good time to have a little segment called Be Prepared. Be prepared. You know what's funny, David, is, is you talk about all these water lines busting. Um, you know, they're still building infrastructures. And the Choctaw Casinos in Durant, Oklahoma, I believe they had pipes busting the other day. And oh you're like, gosh. why are we not why are we not prepared for this at this point? <laughs> I, I I think that it would be better, you'd be better suited to have prepared when you were building this new infrastructure. No kidding. Um, but but so if they are making those mistakes, just imagine imagine what your your local ranchers are doing that don't have any idea what they're well, doing. They usually have a little more brains. Local well, ranchers do. I think they have a little more historical context too. Like some of the some of the issues we're having has been more interstate travel stuff, right? Like people who sold their ranch here and moved here, and they end up with an open winter and things are nice. So I don't need to wrap my pipes till November. Well, right. then you get an early storm and you got dead cattle. Like it's an issue. Yeah, they say, I, I never saw this coming. We're supposed to get another one, according to the Almanac, in February. Quit reading that thing. <laughs> so I'm going to be ready for it. I mean, so so we got Vince predicting now, but I no, think it's, it's, it's a better one. policy to invest in preparedness Absolutely. than investing in prediction. Absolutely. I, I thought we'd just take a quick spin through this. Uh, so uh, weather events. Weather events, uh, cold weather. Uh, listen, I live up here next to Santa Claus at the North Pole. So, you know, cold weather pre preparation is just something that uh, I guess comes secondhand once once I've been here a while. That means having plenty of feed on hand. Yep. That a means a lot of people don't. Having bottled water and because you might not be able to get out of your driveway. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not talking about bottled water, and I'm not talking about going to the grocery and getting milk and bread. Okay, but that's what everyone does in the <laughs> South. But you what gotta, everyone does. So I'm talking about preparedness for your livestock. Okay, have plenty of hay on hand, more than you ever need. Okay. Yeah. Vince and I had this conversation a while back uh, so on the phone. People. I mean, a lot of folks up here they'll they'll not only have this year's hay. But they'll have another year's hay setting. I like to have at least another twenty-five to fifty percent more than what I yeah. think I need. Yeah, and I don't know what the number is, but but you have that buffer, right? I'm gonna say something crazy. Do you you guys say remember it. who Henry Miller was, David, in the West Cattle King? Was the Amish? Miller and Lux Cattle Company. So the, yeah, the, the story name. was he was a German immigrant, nine years old, came over, started butchering stuff, started running his calves in the lane, like two little bucket calves in a lane for free feed and everything, whatever. He owned ground from, uh, he could go from Idaho all the way to a kill plant in San Jose with cattle being trailed horseback without spending the night not on land he didn't own. That and, is awesome. Uh, wow. Incredible. It's an incredible book called The Cattle King. Does he still have Don't it? quote me. But I'm certain in there it says that he in the Central Valley had 10 years of hay stockpiled on hand. Yeah. What What is the time <laughs> frame here? When was this? Oh, goodness. I Well, I don't know, but I know that there's seed stock producers that listen to this, that their brand actually is an H2. And it was an old Miller and Lux farm where their grandfather would have mm. worked for Henry Miller. So probably turn of the century type stuff. I'll, I'll get that info to you guys off the air, though. Super cool book. But, David, keep going on your preparedness thing because we got to yeah. breeze so, on through it a little bit. Yeah, my, my deal is the winter weather, okay? So uh, have plenty of feed. Have the feed near the cattle so that you can access it. I mean, I, I can't tell you 
how many times uh, when, when I lived in Idaho, we would get these raging blizzards, amazing amount of snow, amazing amount of wind. There were times we had to get the county to come dig a path for us yeah, to get the feed to the cattle. Okay, so you've always got to keep that in mind. You got to look at it and say, what's the worst case scenario and plan for it. Right. And that means have that equipment in working order because we know that when it gets cold, nothing the works. shit's going to break. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. So, so have it ready to roll, uh, have it winterized, plug in those tractors, uh, do whatever you can to, to be ready to get that feed to the cattle. Uh, have a plan in place to, to move the snow, you know, go ahead and get the loader on the tractor, be ready to dig out. If you have to your water lines up here, everything is, uh, oh gee, seven, eight feet in the ground, you know? So, so we very seldom will freeze stuff up. The one thing that we've encountered here, all of our, our stock tanks have heaters in them. Okay. You know, they've got the element and keeps the water warm. But what we have found is you have to regularly replace those elements. So it's like a hot water heater. That's basically how y'all water cattle in the winter. Yeah, there's an element that sets in the water tank that keeps the water warm. I never knew any of that. Okay, but that works great until it doesn't work. So what do you do? Just keep elements on hand? So, yeah, yeah, because they will not always heat to the same temp. Over time, they get corroded. And then it loses that ability to heat. Okay. So what we've done is, yeah, every year, every two years, we'll go around, replace those elements, keep them functioning. And then, uh, you know, all these, these stock waters, they've got a little space underneath. So we've got all those wired in with an outlet as well. So we also put a little space heater in there that has its own thermostat. If it gets cold enough, that heater comes on and keeps those those pipes free and, and flowing. Hmm. So it's it's the little things like that that'll keep you out of trouble. Oh, man. You know, if you know that you're going to be calving in two weeks, guess what? You better get those cattle in close uh, so that they can have some shelter because you don't want them calving out in the pasture in the middle of a blizzard. I closed in my barn. I actually got sponsored by the Golden Corral. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best at Shady Brook. Yeah, that's right. So, guys, what what other things can you think about these unforeseen circumstances that can pop up? I know, Joe, out in your neck of the woods, it's wildfires. Yeah, and then we got all the bureaucratic stuff, too. So it's like um, so we've had some exposing events. Um, Oak Ridge Angus would be Cheryl LaFranchi over on the coast in Calistoga. She had a fire where actually, I mean, I don't know how much I should say on the air, but she was full-blown detained because she got up to a police officer and was like, I need to get into my ranch, not because they were in danger of the fire guys, but they shut down all road access for ingress and egress of all the people that have moved into the country. They don't know who's going to steal things and who aren't. And Cheryl's like, these cattle don't have drinking water. Like their normal water has been, you know, that access is limited. And so we need to pump water to them and cattle are going to start dying. She got hauled off. Oh, like she wow. full blown got hauled off. Yes, yes, and it never happens. So it doesn't happen with your local sheriffs. It happens in our area. What happens is when they relieve those guys with people from out of town, they're given a policy book, and that sheriff's like, "You aren't going in. You aren't going in." They don't know who I am or right. Corbin is or you guys are. And so recently, we started. Um, there's actually a. Uh, it's called Ag Pass, 
and it's not a guarantee to get into your cattle, but it's built rapport with the local operation um, emergency services or whatever, Cal OES. And then uh, it's in collaboration with the fire industries and stuff. Some really simple stuff I've learned is get involved in all those little bureaucratic channels. It's very difficult. It's a pain in the neck. But once these people know who you are, at least you have access if you have a problem. And that's what I saw when I was a kid. We've never had, we've never been in a position where we've had cattle burn up, but we have had issues where we haven't had access to cattle during calving time with heifers or during when cattle needed water and they needed pumped and stuff like that. And so make sure that if you have these opportunities bureaucratically to get in the pipeline so that you're not on the outside looking in going, hey, I never got this information. One thing we do with fire. I have a rule that uh, we always keep one pickup hooked up to a trailer and the pickup is full of diesel fuel, completely full. Um, You guys would have seen on Instagram and Facebook over the last couple of days, I shared some environment shots of where cattle are right now. Why are they there now? Because I don't want to gather that country if a wildfire is coming through traveling at five miles an hour, whatever these fires do, you can't get them out. The cattle will get trapped behind back burns and stuff like that. So we get them a little bit closer. We have a policy in place. When If a fire is to come on Bruin Ranch, basically we're shelter in place. Most of the high-value cattle are on irrigated pasture where they can't burn up. And if it gets bad enough that they get burned up, it's not worth risking the people that it would take to save those cattle. And it's kind of sad. Little things like in our house. Uh, my wife always cracks a window so you could smell smoke. All the curtains on our windows are open during the summertime so you could see the glow of a fire. And all vehicles, this is how crazy this has gotten, guys. Um, I make even the kids back the vehicles in just because it's saving a little bit of time. Or if that, that smoke can get so suffocating, if you get in these valleys and stuff, you can't see getting out. So if you got to back and Jimmy around, like just be prepared. And, and part of that is you guys are all going to go, Joe is so anal. He is so out of control, but you won't get to that mark. You won't get to a hundred percent preparedness. So if you overshoot and you fall short, I mean, we're, we're talking about human survival here. I mean, I'm not talking about guys that buy my fuel tank with a water hose or nothing. This is just getting humans safe, getting pets safe, getting horses safe, the stuff that's handy that you can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good points. What about, um, having stuff on hand, like, um, exceed or any kind of medications, because like around here, the roads turn into ice. You can't get to the vet's office. Hell, the vet ain't even at the vet's office. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I don't, I know a lot of people probably don't, um, but we keep a lot of, a lot of medications on hand because you don't know. I'm not saying it's all in date, but I still, got, I still have quite a bit. No, that's a good point. And, uh, we, we had a case where we had to access some medicine, uh, last summer, we had a little outbreak of some sickness and some calves and I just didn't carry that volume of medicine on hand and, and our vet is, uh, more than an hour away. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that hour and a half there, hour and a half back could mean the difference between a dead calf and a live calf. So, um, you know, I actually brought our vet in a couple of months ago and I said, I want you to go through, you know, our stockpile, our, our medicine cabinet, if you will, I want you to tell me what I need to have. What is an absolute must. Right. Yeah, it's it's great. You're uh, an hour and a half away, but I that means I got to break loose and go get it. Right. And in an emergency, that's not a good place to have to go an hour and a half. Yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely. So I would urge all of you to go through your medicine cabinet, make sure you have what you need, and and, and yeah, be prepared. So Corbin, Corbin, I I, I left this for you, and uh, I call it loss prevention or theft prevention. I'm a little offended that I'm likened to the thieves. <laughs> Is it because I'm a thief? No, no, not at all. You just look like one. So. <laughs> You know, there's 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 people that travel the roads and they're just looking for something to steal. Yeah. So sometimes it could be as simple as a locked gate. You know, you, you keep that gate locked, and um, you know, we've had we've we've got these well sites that are around us that that a lot of them are shut in. There, there's no production on them anymore. And I I used to leave trailers on these on these well sites. Um, I can't tell you how many tires I've had stolen. Um, one morning I woke up. And I had to take Myla to school or I had her with me. So I was running behind and it was like 830 or something in the morning. And I was going down the county road. And what do I look out there and see? I see one of my trailers sitting on the county road. Somebody had tried to steal it and it was and it fell off their pickup. And the reason it fell off their pickup was because the hitch on the on the on the on the trailer was messed up. And you had to really know what you were doing to get it locked on. And it fell off and. I guess it was enough to make them panic and just leave it there. But so we saved that trailer, but I've had so much stuff stolen. And and so it's to the point where if I have something that's like a piece of scrap metal that I don't really have anything to do with, I mean, I'll put it over there and they'll go get it. I mean, you know, <laughs> like I, I know that they'll come get it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how, how much stuff people will steal. It's as simple as pulling the keys out of the feed truck. Yeah. yeah. Don't leave the keys in anything. Do you ever have random people pull up out there, David, or Joe no. or Corbin? Well, so so uh, Joe's been here. He's seen the the security that we run, and and it may be overkill, but but it gives us peace of mind, and and we've had no theft. Uh, you pull up here, and if it's at night, the gates are closed. Yeah, you're not going to get in unless you climb the gate and walk in. Uh, we've got uh, uh, cameras at the gate. So if you do crawl in, we're going to see you. And then we, yeah, we try to keep things locked up, you know, our, our cow barn where our medicine and our semen and all that stuff's kept. We try to lock that up at night, especially on the weekends. Uh, more often than not, what we get are, are people that are just being nosy. You know, they come down the driveway, want to see what's going on, but. We were haying or something last summer, last spring. And I looked up and this farm road, I mean, it was, it's not even a gravel road. It's just one of our farm roads, like a path. And uh, I look up and this weird vehicles coming. Like it was like a bright blue um, SUV that was all jacked around. I'm like, well, that thing doesn't belong here. So I pull over there and the guy's like, Hey man, is it, is this private property? It was, it was a dude and a, one, a girl. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's private property. And, Oh, I thought it was a park. I'm thinking. <laughs> think I was born last night or what? You would have you would have lost your mind if Nate climbed out of that blue SUV. <laughs> no, this guy. <laughs> Look what I bought, Dad. No, 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 no. <laughs> this guy was not from around here. There's different approaches with everyone. I have uh, I actually purposefully leave keys in one vehicle, a ranch vehicle, because I don't want them coming to my house looking for keys. Right. And so That's a good uh, idea. Yeah, no, we, we definitely, 
Uh, I don't need to get into it with you guys too much, but we have another access on our easement. So it's behind a locked gate, but these other people have access and they're driving legitimately 15 feet from my front door. And they've started kind of a, it's not pot, but it's an illegal business venture. And uh, it's been, a, it's been a big time challenge. Like I'm live in it right now. And uh, so we just are mindful. We pay attention. We try to keep to ourselves and try to make sure that if, you know, part of this stuff, Corbin talked about a lot gate and he was kind of joking, kind of serious tongue in cheek. Really, it just keeps people from knowing what's back there. And then once people know what's back there, then they can be more vote motivated. I mean, locks only keep out honest people. That's right. <laughs> I mean, right. really. And so I, I think the most valuable thing I have is my family. And so I'm like, well, we're going to leave vehicles in this vehicle or keys in this vehicle. And hopefully the tweaker that comes in here is just going to want to steal a car and not hurt somebody. Right. And yeah. you just do the best you can. Yeah, that's uh <laughs> Very ingenious, Joe. So Joe just adver- advertised to the whole world that uh, he can come. You can come still. I'm coming to get that Ranger. What, what kind of what kind of rig is this? So that no, know. Okay, the keys aren't in the <laughs> Ranger because that clutch slips and they couldn't get it started anyways. Uh, no, this is a 1994. It's a uh, super cab Ford F350. Um, my guess is is they won't get to the interstate before they run out of fuel. That thing's so thirsty. <laughs> and so, yeah, it'd be it'd oh. be a great opportunity to get a new ranch pickup too. Come get it. Come get <laughs> yeah. it. I want the Ranger. The Ranger's pretty cool. <laughs> oh <laughs> man. Well, the moral of the story, folks: be prepared. Just on your day to day journey through uh, whatever you do, look around, and uh, you know, say what's the worst case scenario, and what can I do to save myself. You know, from financial ruin, from stress, from whatever it may be, just look look around. You'll find a lot of things that you can do better, but be prepared. David, I want to add, though, I was thinking about this, and this is dragging on forever, I know, but assess what your risk is. And that's what we, yeah. that's what we found out with the fire stuff in Placer County, is we were so honed in on fire. We said, well, what about Western Placer County? Their biggest threat is actually flooding. And a lot of the principles are still the same. Keep a vehicle at high water. Keep your vehicles fueled up. You know, the little things like that. But assess what your reasonable risk is and then kind of attack it from there. I think that's the intentionality piece we're getting after in this segment. Absolutely. Well, folks, we're going to take a short break here. When we come back, we've got a fantastic interview with a wonderful family from Virginia. Uh, They operate... Uh, what I think is one of the most diversified farming and ranching businesses that you'll find anywhere. So please come back and join us on the other side as we get to know the people behind Glen Mary Farm. Join us at 6 p.m. Mountain Time on Wednesday, February 21st at CellRing.Live for the next edition of the Montana Ranch Online Frozen Genetics Sale. Tune in and turn up the volume for a fast-paced live auction closeout featuring 60 frozen embryos from the heart of the ET program at Montana Ranch. Donors of the embryos are the cornerstone of the program and have an average age of nine. They have survived the sorts and withstood the test of time. Embryos from Rita 7112, who was the $55,000 top-selling donor of the 2023 Montana sale, Abigail 8005, the full sister to Charlotte, 
Black Cat May, 94.99, a maternal sister to Resource, Renown, and Rainfall, and Emblanette, 82.55, the powerful full sister to Territory, are just a few of the headliners, while other highlighted donors include the proven matrons of the Donna family, 206, 3202, 4356, 975, 505, and 7233. The $180,000 Go to MontanaRanchAngus.com to view the complete catalog and videos of the donors and sires. And for more information, call David at 406-210-5605. Again, this exciting event will take place at CellRing.Live, 6 p.m. Mountain Time on Wednesday, February 21st. We look forward to seeing you there. We're really blessed to have a fantastic family joining us all the way from Virginia. Uh, we've got the folks from Glen Mary Farm. Welcome to the underground, Tom and Kim Nixon and their daughter, Elizabeth Marshall. Hello. Wow. Well, I, I don't know if you guys are uh, avid listeners of the underground. I, I hope that Elizabeth is. We have listened. We, we have, have listened. listened. Yes, yes, we do listen. They have listened. Fantastic. We'll, we'll you know continue. what we need, David? David, we need to add this. We need a small pop quiz for the people that claim to be listeners. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Absolutely. No, actually, I actually have one here prepared. So if you don't mind, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We don't, we don't have time for this tomfoolery. I, I think we attempted that with uh, Dr. Tim on all things repro, and it kind of blew up in our face, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of embarrassing. It turned out to be embarrassing a little. <laughs> yeah. So we won't push the issue on charity. We appreciate you listening. Wink. Yeah, and we, we certainly appreciate you joining us. But uh, so, guys, over uh, oh, numerous years, I mean, I at one time, I was a resident of Virginia, so I knew of Tom. Didn't know him well, but knew of him, knew him by reputation. Uh, but the one thing I do know is Glen Mary Farm is one of the uh, historic working farms in Virginia. Tom, can you walk us back in time? Give us a little bit of history on Glen Mary Farm. And, uh, and then fast forward us up to the point where uh, you became involved with Glen Mary Farm. Well, uh, Glen Mary was the original name from a uh, land grant from King England. This farm was established in 1734. And my family purchased a farm in 1980. And uh, the farm, uh, original part of the farm consists of about 365 acres. And so we, uh, have been here since then. My family has been in Orange County since back in the twenties, um, moved around a little bit. Um, but my, uh, when I got out of high school, I decided to stay here on the farm and formed a partnership with my father. And, um, and that's kind of how things, uh, got started. And we started 
started out as basically um, renting some ground and also we did feeder cattle and, and commercial cows and and up until uh, the early 90s when Kim and I got married, uh, we was taking care of about 1,500 head of feeder cattle a year and probably had 150 to 200 mama cows. So what year What year was this? What year, About what year? We got, we got married, married in 1992. 92. I had to stop and think. Yeah, 92. Yeah. So, so the main thing I'm getting at is you're running 1,500 feeder cattle, and there's no such thing as dark, dark guns. I mean, you guys are... You guys are really running them suckers. Yeah, no, we we pretty much did everything here. Uh, me and another guy when I had help, uh, and uh, you know we're we're on rolling land, uh, a lot of red clay, uh, and then we decided to, once we got married, we need to make some changes. We uh, we we're, we're right along Rapidan River. Um, we had some environmental issues that we was worried about. Um, so we decided to, uh, start building infrastructure here on the farm and we put in a, a little feedlot and, um, that led to putting in poultry houses and that led to feeding BSA bulls and things just kind of multiplied. And, um, a few years later, we built a second feedlot and, and so now today, fast forward, we're up to close to 1200 cows and we're finishing between 22 and 2500 head of fat cattle a year. And, um, so things have changed dramatically. Uh, we purchased more land and, um, we're up over, I don't know how many acres, but, uh, we go over a lot of land. Um, we, we put out about 6,000 acres, 5,500, 6,000 acres of row crops on top of the livestock and then uh, after COVID hit, we decided to make some changes and we started another venture called Virginia Seed and we partnered up with our agronomist and so that's a whole nother infrastructure that we decided to go and do and um, and that's been very interesting uh, so we're selling seed up and down the east coast and we've got a network of uh, 20 plus salespeople that work for us. And, uh, but we form partnerships with other organizations. And uh, so it's, it's been, been exciting and been a lot of blood, sweat and tears over it all. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, that would be the definition of uh, having a diverse farming and ranching operation yes. when, when you're talking commercial cattle feeder cattle, your finishing cattle, row cropping, <laughs> uh, this, this seed enterprise, which I, I was unaware of. And then the, the turkey houses. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. That's a lot of moving parts. How do you manage that? It is. It is. And, <laughs> we and, don't, we fake it really well. <laughs> but you know, We also have a, a truck inside where we truck all of our own products. Uh, we have trucks on the road every day and two to three trucks and and that can be really challenging keeping all that going and um but we got to where we couldn't rely on outside people to do it couldn't get things done in a timely fashion uh we are using some outside trucks for our seed business uh but uh but that's it is a lot of moving parts and uh 
we could have as many as 18 to 20 people working for us at a time uh, from the trucking in to to livestock to everything. So. Now, Tom, if I could chime in for a second, sorry, David, but um, like this is really exciting and dynamic. And I, I want David's going to dive a little further into each one of your operations, I think. But sometimes we're remiss on these interviews. We take for granted our listeners. If we just simplify it back, especially for our people in the West, can you explain your production calendar and what rainfall looks like? And you mentioned you mentioned some water quality things, and that sparked my memory bank. Was it maybe some of that Chesapeake Bay stuff and all that that was coming down? Maybe touch on that stuff and, and different dynamic nuances of your production calendar as, as a diversified farmer in Virginia. Well, as far as environmental issues, when we got married, they were feeding feeder cattle. They would buy them in the fall, sell them in load lots in the starting in February. And these dirt lots were washing really bad down into the Rapidan River, which borders one side of our farm. And uh, I had worked for our state water control board. So I, I knew we wanted a ticking time bomb and we had to do something different. So his parents and him had formed a partnership. And so I was the new the new kid on the block. And so we kind of navigated our way into getting financing to build the first feedlot and get those cattle in from dirt lots. And our weather pattern has changed. But I mean, like we were talking earlier, we're in the season of mud right now. Um, and we average about 36 inches of rain throughout the year. Last year was a really bad drought. We had fields that averaged eight inches of rain from the time it was planted to it was harvested. But I mean, that's an average throughout the year. Um, and like you said, we are on rolling ground. So our farm here, uh, we pretty much built out every hilltop that we could. And that has a barn on it with a dirt lot. Um, and so, you know, we've got to be very aware because all this water flows into Chesapeake Bay watershed. And um, we get cost share funding to help you know, ease those problems, but still we have to be, we're in, we're inspected through the state water control board or DEQ uh, can be on an annual basis. So, you know, we have to be very careful as to what we do. And Kim, one of the out here, at least, I mean, with the, the poultry industry, it is what it is. The poultry industry kind of, it, it seems like for some of the guys here, it's sort of steady. Um, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. It's farming. But one of the consistent is the opportunities that exist with poultry litter. Do you guys have a poultry litter business? And with the Chesapeake Bay there, how do you handle that and manage? We do. We do. We clean out the houses totally once a year. Uh, we do partial clean outs. On the, we actually raise hens for Cargill. We raise three flocks a year. So we do total clean out in the starting end and partial clean outs in the finishing end. And that's applied usually in the spring and the fall. We're not supposed to do it on frozen ground. So, And that's really helped too. It's helped the crop, crop lands, built up the organic matter. Um, and I mean, it's a huge plus, but you're still working for an integrator. So, um, which has its good points and bad points. So Tom, you, you brought up the, uh, the point that you kind of transitioned from, uh, having this feeder cattle operation and, and now you're actually finishing cattle. That's correct. Where do those cattle go to harvest? Well, we, we have a, a couple buyers here that, um, JBS is a player in Pennsylvania. Uh, Cargill has actually got a small plant. Um, Tyson actually will get some cattle and they will go all the way back to Illinois. Um, 
occasionally it happens. And uh, then we have a local processor that we uh, use some uh, Seven Hills uh, meats, and they uh, process some of our own animals for a meat business. Uh, and then we occasionally sell them cattle also. You bet. You bet. I, I was especially curious when, when I lived back there, of course, we spent a lot of time up in Pennsylvania trying to recruit some of the farmer feeders there to come down and buy feeder cattle from our bull customers. And uh, at that time, at least in Pennsylvania, I mean, it was monopolized by four packers. That's correct. Now it's three. <laughs> yeah. Now there's three. And, and at that time, if you wanted true price discovery, you sold them one by one there at the New Holland sale. That's correct. Yeah. And it's still a very popular sale. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that while some things change, some things remain the same. Uh, you 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 mentioned that you have a rather extensive uh, row crop business there. What yes. what cash crops do you raise? We raise corn, uh, soybeans. Um, we'll raise some wheat. Uh, and then in our seed business, we do triticale, uh, rye. Um, we do vetch. Uh, we do uh, the tillage radishes. Uh, we, we do rapeseed. So there's a lot of things that we're raising that goes into our seed production. Um, but, uh, you know, we typically put out 3,000 acres of beans and 25 to 2,800 acres of corn. And then everything either gets a double crop or cover crop planted behind it. So we're planting everything twice a year. Um, and that's it, it makes it challenging when you have a wet season and getting everything done on time and that kind of thing. But uh, Well, our son, who's he's not here today, Robert, he manages our crop crew. So he manages about five South African guys. And they do all the planting, spraying, and harvesting. And are you guys able to graze any of that aftermath? Or when it would be grazed, is it is it probably too wet and you use that aftermath to build organic matter in the soil instead? We will graze like corn stalks. And what we do is, like this year, we interseeded a lot of ryegrass in standing sure. corn. Uh, took the corn off and then we utilized the stalks and the ryegrass to graze cows on in the wintertime. Sometimes it gets kind of wet. You got to be careful. Um, and then in the spring, if we have fields that are fenced, we may, you know, flash graze, ride, and that sort of thing, depending on what our needs are and what kind of production we have. But uh, we need to be doing more of that uh, just to utilize land. Uh, we're trying to put more fencing around, crop around, and that sort of thing also. So. Mm -hmm. the, uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit back to the cattle. So you, you run this rather extensive uh, commercial cow-calf herd. The calves that are produced from that herd, um, are, are you marketing lot loads of calves? Are you retaining everything for your feedlot? What does that look like? Typically, we retain everything for our feedlot. Um, you know, if, uh, if we get in a situation, um, if we lose a piece of ground or something, we may sell a lot of heifers or a load of steers. But uh, we typically will take them all the way to finish. Um, and, one, you know, trying to do it where we don't have as much health issues is, is bringing in feeder cattle and light calves. And we're trying to get away from that. Um, it's one of the reasons that we uh, went to finishing cattle. We, we don't, it's not a lot of cattle 
being fed in Virginia anymore. And so, uh, you know, if, if, if we don't keep supplying the packers, we're going to lose more packers. And so we just decided with our air facilities and our confinement that we was better off going on and taking cattle all the way to finish. So. Sure. Makes perfect sense. What, what does your, uh, and, and we're going to talk about uh, a couple of your newer ventures, uh, being the registered cow herd. And then, uh, of course the, uh, Glen Mary reserve meats, but before we get there, before you started raising your own registry cattle, what does your bull selection look like? And and Elizabeth may be the the cog behind this. I don't know. It's funny. They're laughing. I'm laughing too because I'm like, how am I going to step on David and interject that exact same question that I was thinking? So good move. I love it because all of our listeners will say, we're, we're building this for the commercial cattleman. We're building it for the commercial cattleman. Here's a commercial cattleman right here. Tell us what it is that are your selection criteria going back into that herd. Um, well, I would say for us, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different schools of thought when it comes to selecting your bulls and what's important for you might not be important for somebody else. Um, but I think for us, especially just given my background, I mean, I grew up doing livestock judging. I was on two reserve national champion livestock judging teams. And so with that, um, phenotype is important to me. Foot quality is very important for us. Um, if they aren't good footed, we don't want any parts of them. We've gotten burned so many times. Um, and I don't want to say that we've bought bulls from everywhere because we haven't, but we've bought bulls from a lot of different, you know, breeders within and outside of the state. Um, and it gets frustrating when you go out to buy bulls and six months, a year later, two, three years later, you bring the bulls in to semen check them and, you know, you've got bulls that have screw toe. Um, and then it's a situation of the breeder might offer you a credit. Well, do you really want to go back there and get more bulls that might be bad footed? Um, and so for us, that's something that we've really struggled with. Um, and so we are very, very particular when it comes to feet and leg structure, making sure that those feet are shaped correctly. I'm not going to say that I still always get it right, but we put a lot of emphasis on that. Um, but then beyond that, I think, you know, we're not chasing extremes. Um, we just want, you know, good phenotypic quality bulls that are big nutted, that are good footed, that, um, they're laughing at me because I said big nutted on a podcast, but it's the truth. <laughs> That, that's your mom laughing, okay? <laughs> yes, yes. That's because I always, that's one of the first things I look at. But anyway. Yeah. Way, way to go with the laughing, Kim, because I'll Hell yeah, know Kim. Corbin did not laugh. Corbin was able to stay composed. The one who lost it was Kim. Thanks a lot. <laughs> but I mean, we, we aren't chasing extremes. You know, we want cattle that have plenty of growth, that have some carcass quality, but I'm not looking for a bull that's, 300 plus dollar C and is the highest growth bull in America. Um, you know, we try to find a happy medium between phenotype and, and EPDs. And, you know, really for us, we want cattle that have longevity and that we know are going to last. And for us, you know, foot quality is a huge factor into that. Sure. And excuse exclusively Angus bulls, Elizabeth. No. So, um, you know, if you come here and you look at our cow herd, we, uh, <laughs> we don't discriminate against color. Um, and so our cow herd really is a, a combination of Angus, Red Angus, and Charlotte genetics. Um, we calve in both the fall and the spring. 
our fall herd is a little bit bigger than our spring herd, but our spring herd primarily um, are red Angus Charlie cross females. Um, and so in, in that situation, you know, we might throw an Angus bull back on them. We just kind of depends on how we've been breeding them and, and what we do. Um, but yeah, we've, like I said, we don't really discriminate against color around here. We've got a lot of colored cows. Um, I don't care what color they are. I just want them to be good. So yeah, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a good policy. Just make them good. So we're going to get into the registered cattle. We'll get into uh, um, your meat company, but uh, I, I want to dive a, a little bit deeper here because you're taking these cattle full circle. You explained in your criteria, Elizabeth, that, you know, yeah, you want something that has some carcass merit to them. You're not going for extremes, but you're killing these, these cattle. What are you seeing there? You know, are these cattle grading? Oh, yeah. Are they yielding like you want? What are you seeing? Well, one of the things, you know, especially for our meat business, we want to make sure we have decent carcass, really good marbling. And so we don't need extreme big ribeyes, which everybody loves them, but we've had issues where our ribeyes had gotten too big um, when we were supplying meat to our local meat company. Um, but, um, you know, we, we're getting the yields that we, we need to get out of the cattle. Uh, you know, and when we're feeding our cattle in confinement, they're on concrete. You know, some a lot of our concrete has got rubber flooring on top of it. But we need animals that can take the concrete when they're on confinement for 150 days, you know, at the end of their uh, cycle. Uh, a lot of these cattle couldn't do it. And one of the things that reason we went to the Red Angus and Charlotte Crosses was because the longevity in these Angus cows, we couldn't get them to hold up. Uh, and our favorite cross was was like the Red Angus, third Red Angus, third Charlie, third Angus, uh, Black Angus. But um, but we're, we're getting cows that stay in herd a lot longer now. You know, mm -hmm. 10 years ago, we very seldom had a cow that would reach eight years old. Wow. They just wouldn't hold up. And now we're getting in cows, you know, 12, 13 years old and still producing and, and really productive. So um, that's what we're looking for. We want cows that can stay in the herd 15 years. I mean, that's a productive cow for us. Right. Do, do you keep really detailed, extensive records on your commercial herd? <laughs> uh, record keeping, I will say, has probably been a struggle for us. Um, and... I guess I should probably take the blame for that because it's my responsibility. <laughs> um, but prior to me even coming home after college, you know, we'd had various guys that worked for us and they tried implementing different types of record keeping, um, whether it be apps or different types of software. Um, and you get into a lot of that stuff. And um, like anything, there's going to be glitches. There's going to be issues with it. The technology is much more advanced now than what it previously was. Um, but we do use a app called Performance Livestock Analytics or Performance Beef um, on our feed side, feeding side. Mm -hmm. um, and so that company is actually supposed to be coming out with a performance ranch option, which is supposed to be like a cow calf management software. And they keep pushing back the date. We've been waiting um, over a year and a half for them to launch that because for, sure. with what we're doing, 
it makes sense to utilize that as the next step because we're already using performance beef in the feedlot. Um, and so we've kind of been, or I guess I should say, I have been dragging my feet, um, because that has not become live yet, but, um, you know, we, that is one area that we definitely need to be better on and improve on is our record keeping. But I can tell you just to speak about like the carcass quality of our cattle. So, uh, we've done a lot of genomic testing through Neogen, um, and, We've actually gotten to the point where every time we um, keep back a group of replacement heifers, those heifers will be um, tested with the Igenity beef profile test. And so what that does is that gives us, you know, 10 commercial scores. And then I can create an index based on, you know, how we want to, uh, you know, keep and cull those cattle. And so we do that genomic testing, I'll make the index, and then um, every time, you know, we breed a group of those heifers, we will um, cull, you know, the bottom 5, 10, 15%, whatever it is, depending on the size of the group that we're testing. And so we've been doing that for the last several years. Um, but one thing that we did do last year was they had approached us about doing some testing on our feedlot cattle. Um, and basically they cut us a deal to where they would run the identity beef and feeder profiles at the same time on our feedlot cattle. And so we actually tested all of our weaned steer crop from last year. And um, what that did was that gave us access to some extra information that you typically don't get in the identity beef test. So we were able to look at like days on feed and tenderness. And I mean, obviously you get marbling with both tests, but we were able to get a little more information. So then we could select that kind of top tier of cattle to go into our meat business. And, uh, you know, the cattle that we tested, especially the top tier, I mean, they were tens and marbling, tens and tenderness. Um, we could go in and use their cat calculator that they've created to figure out, okay, you know, the test says that this, this animal is going to be done at 205 days or 175 days, and we can make decisions accordingly. And so through that process, we were able to see firsthand, you know, we did the testing, but we put those cattle in our beef business so we could see firsthand the carcass quality um, when that meat got delivered back to us to go into that business business um yeah. and we were very pleased with what we saw the the ultimate validation that's coming full circle yeah <laughs> david uh, there's another highlight i want to come up with here this is this is a breed agnostic test right I, and then nixon's just shared with us we're, we're talking about a genetic composition of charlet red angus and angus and we're talking tenderness scores of tens and marbling scores of tens i think that's where we've always been I don't know if it's fair to say critical, but we've tried to shine light on that premise and saying, you know what, compared against what? Once a student's in A plus in English, do they need to be an A plus plus, right? I mean, right. It, it, and, and I think it's an interesting testament of once we actually get these genetics implemented and into the, into the supply chain, how they actually perform versus looking at them theoretically on some paper. But David, go ahead, because I know that we need to be respectful of their time. You you bet. Well, I, we, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about two segments of your diverse operation uh, that I think are, are two of the newer enterprises, but they're also two that 
uh, really piqued my interest. You're registered cattle, uh, registered seed stock operation, and your Glen Mary Reserve Meats. So which came first? I guess in a sense, probably the Angus business. And I say that because my brother and I grew up showing cattle through the National Junior Angus Association. Um, so we showed all over the country when we were juniors in that organization. And um, like most kids that get done showing, they're still bit by the bug. They still love Angus cattle. They still want to raise Angus cattle. And so for me, you know, when we got done, um, I always had the mindset that I wanted to keep raising Angus cattle because whenever I had kids one day, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we had something that my kids could show that was good. Um, and so is this an announcement or, or no, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, so I started out, um, you know, we had shown a lot of cattle through like Prairie View Farm in Illinois and some other places. And so we had kind of accumulated, um, you know, a, a good group of solid donor cows that I started doing some work on and we started, you know, flushing them, putting embryos in. And, you know, my goal was to, you know, sell show heifers to local families. And that all sounds great and grand, but it's hard when you don't have any help to help you actually break the heifers and get things ready. So you can try to work with these families and with our operation, because we're so diverse, we're spread thin. We've got a lot of different irons in the fire. And so I can't physically break those cattle myself. Like I need help with that. And you're always doing that, that fall time of the year. And that's always when we're in the thick of harvest. And so things were just really crazy and it just wasn't realistic. And so we went through several seasons of that where we were still selling some show heifers, but not to the scale, like what I wanted to do. And I finally just kind of came to the realization that we needed to make a change and kind of pivot, um, what we were doing. And so, um, and I, Dave told me that I needed to say nice things about him today. So I guess I'll, I'll it's all because of little, you, Dave, it's all but, because of you. Um, <laughs> but uh, honestly, we probably would not be doing what we're currently doing right now. Had it not been for Dave Mullins, because I was working for um, Virginia Angus as their member services coordinator. Um, when I moved back here, I was taking care of the cows here at home. And then I was basically the one employee for Virginia Angus I'd been working there for three years and Dave had called me like late spring of 2021 and told me about his new idea, Sailoring Live. He wanted me to come on board and it took a couple of phone calls, but finally he got me convinced. And so in June, I had told him, you know, yes, I'll, I'll come on board with you. But I was like, I'm getting married in August, so I probably won't be able to really do much until, you know, the beginning of September. And so, so um, I've been with Dave since fall 2021 and um, through working with Sailoring Live, I've obviously gotten a lot of opportunities to travel and meet a lot of people, one of which was coming out to Montana Ranch. Um, and we did their first kind of um, embryo offering before they started doing their production sale in October. And so that was our first opportunity to go out to Montana and meet David and Shauna um, and since then, for the last three years, my mom and I have made the trip out there. Uh, we've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know everybody. Um, and, and what we've really enjoyed is, I mean, obviously 
the ranch is beautiful. The area is beautiful, but we've kind of gotten to, you know, grow this relationship with David and Shauna and met a network of other like-minded breeders that are all trying to do very similar things. And so, you know, we went out there, we fell in love with the cattle that they had. And, um, ultimately that kind of helped shape what we're doing today. So, uh, we saw the cattle when we went out there for the first time, I guess that was in 2021. When we went back for the 2022 sale, I knew that I wanted to do something. And so we actually ended up purchasing three open heifers from David, um, came home, got them bred. Um, they all took, we had three really nice bull calves out of those three heifers this past fall. Um, and so through all that process, you know, we decided that we maybe wanted to take this project more seriously. And so we've tried to be, you know, we're in the very beginning stages of this, but we've tried to be somewhat strategic in what we're selecting and what we're going after. And, uh, we had talked to Dave a lot about, you know, just different paths to go and different things to do. And, um, we told him that we wanted to make a splash. And so when we were at the, the sale this past fall, uh, you know, I had a few lots in mind that I was interested in and, and through all this process, we've been putting in other embryos and doing some other stuff too. Um, but we knew that we wanted to, to go out and do something. And so, Dave took us through the cattle the first day that we were there and I saw the lot 11A, the heifer that we bought, Black Seal 2026. And I told my, I told them both, I was like, she's it. Like, that's, that's the one. I, that's her. Um, and he showed us through the rest of the cattle, but nothing hit me as hard as she did that day. Um, and then he took us to go see her dam. And when we saw that cow, that kind of sealed the deal for us because like my dad said, I mean, for us, longevity is really important. Her dam's 13 years old and to me looks like a six to eight year old cow with incredible feet and a really good udder. Um, and that's kind of the ideal of what we're trying to do. And so uh, obviously that day I was uh, working the Sail Ring Live platform. So my mom was in charge of uh, making all of the purchase decisions that day. And uh, she bought a lot of love. A and then was very sheepish and nervous and couldn't even get out that that was the lot that we wanted. <laughs> well, yeah, this doesn't need to uh, turn into a commercial for Montana Ranch, but thank you guys, number one. And number two, I think there's a, a really good lesson there. Okay, you did your research. You know, you went through the cell cattle. You went and saw the dams. But but you were laser-focused that you you found the one that, would accomplish the most things for your operation. And it, it uh, warmed my heart earlier when Tom said that, hey, he needs cows that, that'll last till they're 15. Yeah. <laughs> because ultimately in, in the commercial business, that's what makes you the profit. It's that longevity, that fertility, lay down, have a calf every year, don't cause problems and last a long time. So it all makes sense now in retrospect, now that we've talked to Tom, of why you landed on that one, but, uh, for the interest of time and you guys have been super generous thus far, I do want to dive into your, uh, Glen Murray reserve meats company. So tell me how that started 
And what have been some of the challenges that you've encountered along the way? And by the way, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm going to give you a free commercial on the Glen Mary Reserve Meats. You were kind enough through Dave Mullins. You, you sent uh, Sean and myself some just beautiful beef back before Christmas. And I can tell you that the meat is second to none. But furthermore, it is packaged very professionally. I mean, this this is a first-class presentation. <laughs> so dive in and tell us about, number one, why you started, how you started, and, and what are some of the challenges that you faced? Well, the main reason why we started was because we were like two or three months into COVID, and you everybody remembers commodity prices had tanked. And uh, Tom walks in the office one day, and we're all frustrated, and he's like... It's like, damn it, we're going to do something we can retail. I'm tired of giving everything away. And that's how the conversation got started. And so, you know, we all remember there was grocery store shelves were empty at the time. And so, and we had been selling some beef off the farm um, for people to have processed of their own. You know, that we knew we had a good product. We felt like we had a good product. So that's, that's how it got started. And uh, we kind of, like we always do, we, uh, we dived into the shallow end head first, and we've learned a lot, and uh, we're still learning. And um, yeah, um, but we um, we put in a building back behind my parents' house that has a walk-in freezer in it, um, and so we deal, like my dad said, with the processor Seven Hills. It's in Lynchburg. It's about two hours from us. Um, we take the cattle down there. They process the cattle. We prefer for the cattle to hang somewhere between 14 and 21 days because we're, you know, trying to promote a dry aged product. Um, and they package the beef, vacuum seal the, the beef and deliver it back to us. Um, the beef comes to us fresh and then we obviously put it in our freezer. And so everything that we sell is frozen. Um, but like she said, we have learned a lot. Um, you learn a lot about people and their buying preferences, um, things that they care about, things that they don't care about. Um, we, you know, one thing that I think her and I both kind of prided ourselves on was, you know, during the COVID era, you saw a lot of these beef businesses pop up. Um, and there's a lot of successful beef businesses across the country. Some of those beef businesses like five Marys in California, they offer courses, you know, take our course, we'll give you the ins and outs of how to do all this stuff. And I basically told her, I was like, we're not doing that. We're going to figure this out on our own. And we did. We sure. did. Um, so we figured out the shipping and the packaging and everything. And I mean, it took some trial and error, but we figured it out. And um, so we ship beef nationwide. We offer local pickup on the farm two days a week. Um, we prefer to sell all the beef through our online store. We do not go to like farmer's markets every weekend because to be quite frank, nobody wants to deal with the general public every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, we do, we will go to a handful of events throughout the year, you know, depending on the time of year and if we can make that work with our schedule. But for the most part, we want people to come to us um, and, you know, to have placed their orders online through our website. Has that grown your uh, your internet trade? Yeah, I mean, uh, so, you know, I think at pr pretty much any business within the agriculture sector, a lot of times it's not what you know, it's who you know. And um, for us, we had some situations where, like, for instance, my best friend 
friend bought meat to give to one of her customers um, who runs a feed company in Minnesota. So she bought him two tomahawks for Christmas, shipped them to him. He loved them. And now they do all their corporate gifting through us. Nice. Um, and so because of like different things like that, we've been able to do um, corporate gifting every Christmas. The Christmas season is the busiest time of year for us. Um, and so like this year we did gifting for, I guess, four different businesses um, and we shipped all of those boxes. Um, but the one thing that has been interesting for us is, I mean, we know that Christmas is going to be our busiest time of year. Um, but outside of that, uh, it's kind of hard to determine specifically when are going to be your other busier times of year. Because, I mean, if you think about it, if you've got people that are buying bulk beef, halves, quarters, holes, you know, once they get that beef, they're not going to come back to you for a while. Um, and you might have a period that, you know, might be a, a slow period where things are pretty slow for a couple weeks. And then randomly out of the woodwork, these people find us and they're like, do you have a half? Do you have a quarter? When can, how can we get on your list? So it's been interesting kind of juggling that and trying to determine, you know, from a scheduling perspective, okay, we need, need to make sure that we've got this number of head that are, will be ready at this time frame that we can send to the processor. But like she said, it's been a huge learning curve, but uh, we're still doing so it. So there is a, there is a piece that you guys touched on. And I think you take it matter of factually a little bit, Elizabeth, I'm on here. If I'm distracted looking, I have another computer set up to my side and I'm doing like, I do like show research as we're going. So I stay abreast. You guys have an awesome website. It's easy to navigate. Um, we should plug it on here. Glenmarysreservemeats.com. You can do a search, look for Virginia. You'll see it. It's very up to date. It's, it's easy to navigate through. One of the coolest gifts that we can give in community is by giving products that are locally produced by people that we know to someone. And I know this because you mentioned you mentioned Five Marys. Well, they have a network of people, like you kind of said. And we have some friends because we're on the West Coast who've gone through those courses and done some stuff and trying to do a meat business of their own. We did the exact same thing. You don't know what to get friends and family for, for Christmas sometimes. So we'd get a little sampler box and have a mail to a bunch of different people. Now they've, it, the gift was twofold. It gave them a gift of some awesome meat products. And it also gave our friends who have this business growth in our network that you know will pay the bills, you know will spread word. And it's just like selling these Angus bulls, really. When you have that network of people who are directed to you because the products and the service match the people, then you don't have to do all this expensive shotgun approach marketing that may or may not hit the target and is really inefficient, actually, and ineffective. So I don't want to say it's horse and buggy going back in time and how we market, but word of mouth can be so, so useful and so powerful for these small branded branded programs. And, and I don't want to diminish by saying that your boutique are smaller branded because you do have a lot more scale than a lot of people who are in this space. But I think it's a lesson to learn for all of us listening. You're looking for someone who's hard to shop for. Connect them with some products that might be interesting and you help out two people. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Good point. Well, um, Nixon family, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. We, we've gone over our allotted time with you. Thank you for uh, sticking with us. I know you guys have a ton going and we want to bring you back someday. Are you sure about that? Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> we want to hear more about the uh, the meat company and, and certainly we want to hear progress on your uh, registered seed stock operation and so uh yeah you're invited back anytime but thank you again for joining us 
and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Angus Underground was brought to you in part by Montana Ranch, the source for balanced trade Angus, which are different by design. If you love this episode, head over to where you listen to podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Also, check us out on social media where you can interact with us and to suggest subjects that you'd like us to cover on upcoming episodes.